Hello, I'm Nick Cater, Executive Director of the Menzies Research Centre and a columnist with The Australian. In this column, I argue there are things from which we need to be protected that are far more damaging than the coronavirus. On Friday, Daniel Andrews inserted a sunset clause into the growing list of restrictions he has imposed under the emergency powers he now enjoys. It was not the one we've been hoping for. There's a bunch of people down at the Rye Beach last night who thought the best thing to do was to watch the sunset, Daniel Andrews said. But that's not in the spirit or the letter of these rules. On Saturday morning, he announced that the regulations would be extended to regional Victoria from lunchtime, giving golf clubs less than two hours to close their greens. Afternoon visits to children's playgrounds and footy games would be called off, and the setting of the sun over the Twelve Apostles would be invisible to the human eye. These and countless other ways of retaining sanity in crazy times are now forbidden under Victoria's Public Health and Wellbeing Act. The irony might have been brought to the Premier's attention had the measures been tested in Parliament. He might have been asked for evidence that outdoor mask wearing or nighttime curfews would work, but it never got as far as Cabinet. To all appearances, it just came out of Andrew's head. It's not for me to prove the efficacy of any one measure, he said last week. No one has ever maintained that any one measure is the way out of this, so therefore it's not for me to provide hard data that establishes that. Sunset watching is still permitted in New South Wales, insofar as its shoreline's eastern aspect will allow. Yet other restrictions on everyday freedoms are compounded almost daily. A poignant piece by Jordan Baker in Saturday's Sydney Morning Herald describes the tears, disbelief and anger in the red zone on Friday upon hearing that the screws had been tightened further. Police drive up our streets, cycle along walking tracks and check us from helicopters, Baker wrote. It's difficult to avoid a sense of panic when a squad car slows down to check on me as I watch my kids scootering up the lane. The claim by Police Minister David Elliott that these are the darkest days the people of New South Wales have had to face in nearly a century, is open to dispute. It is, after all, less than 80 years since Town Hall Station was being converted into an air raid shelter and Japanese submarines were firing torpedoes in Sydney Harbour. Yet in some ways, the public health campaign that presently consumes us is not dissimilar to the total wars of the last century. The emergency powers invoked by today's governments are harsher in some respects. Once again, our liberties are under threat, this time not from a hostile enemy, but from what we are doing to ourselves. The challenge of dealing with a novel virus as infectious as this one, the one that preys particularly on the elderly and sick, is considerable. Our leaders have been called upon to make snap decisions with limited information. A frightened public demands reassurance. Yet there are other plausible strategies that could have been pursued that would have jarred less with our liberal principles. Countries like Taiwan and South Korea have managed to tame the virus without trespassing so deeply into the private realm, do not require draconian policing or the army to be deployed in the streets. A police force that enforces arbitrary state regulation to control human behaviour may be a part of daily life in some countries, but it's not the way we do things here. Social order in Australia is maintained with a force far more powerful than coercion. In a tolerant liberal democracy like ours, the rules are willingly obeyed by most people most of the time. 
Consent is the binding force of Australia's social fabric and the rule under which our police should operate. They are not members of a disciplined hierarchy operating at the government's command, but citizens in uniform who secure the willing cooperation of the public. They must refrain from usurping the powers of the judiciary, recognising that it is not their job to judge guilt or punish the guilty. These conventions are part of our precious inheritance of liberalism. We should not lightly disregard them, even at times like these. The desire to protect everybody's health as best as we can in a pandemic will, of course, require some freedoms to be temporarily curtailed. Yet the mantra that falls so often from the lips of premiers, that nothing is more important than avoiding infection, simply isn't true. One person's right to good health must be balanced against the freedom of another to earn a living or operate a business. It should be balanced against the freedom to worship or the freedom of teenagers to mingle with their peers to alleviate adolescent distress. As a student at the University of Melbourne, Robert Menzies wrote a prize-winning essay on the World War I emergency measures. Some infringements of liberty may be justified in an emergency, he wrote, but they were not sufficient in themselves to abandon the rule of law. Should the almost arbitrary power of the executive prove to be anything else but temporary, a very great disaster would have befallen the English constitution, he wrote. Josh Frydenberg's insistence on the weekend that attempts at eradication will not succeed signalled a shift in strategy in Canberra. Perhaps some state leaders, too, may be starting to realise that exchanging liberty for health and safety is a bad bargain. How could they not? They, too, must be receiving the reports of the numbers of teenagers presenting to emergency wards for self-harm, of homeschooling parents in cramped homes at their wits' ends, and the volume of calls to Lifeline. They, too, must be doubting if the potential anguish avoided by the measures is still greater than the sum of anguish caused. Perhaps they too are learning to worry less about the loopholes in lockdown regulations and to worry more about the gaps in the education curriculum that have robbed us of an understanding of civic rights and responsibilities that Australians of Menzies' generation possessed. Ultimately, the rule of law, common law and the separation of powers provide the most important protection any people anywhere could desire. I'm Nick Cater for the Menzies Research Centre.